One of the things that we tend to see is that the enemy usually has a counterfeit version of something that God has a version of, and marriage is no different. And so we have to be very intentional in protecting what we have. We're going to unpack what that looks like today and ways that we can protect our spouse and our marriages. Stay tuned. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. The Hearing Jesus Podcast is so excited to partner with Compassion International. We believe in Compassion's mission to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Sponsors, when they sponsor a child, have the opportunity to see firsthand the impact that you're making through letters and updates that you receive from your sponsored child. It's not just changing the lives of children, it's changing entire families, whole communities, always through the local church and always in Jesus' name. When you choose to sponsor a child, you enter access to quality education, medical checkups, healthy food, clean water, and most importantly, the love of Jesus. Delivered through a church in their community because of a generous, caring sponsor like you. And you can speak life, love, and hope to your sponsored child through personal letters that you'll exchange. I hope you'll join me in sponsoring a child through Compassion today. All you have to do is pull out your phone and text Hearing Jesus to 83393. You'll get a text back with a picture of a child who is waiting for a sponsor and a link to sponsor that child. You can also go to Compassion.com forward slash Hearing Jesus to choose a boy or girl to sponsor. When you sponsor, we'll also send you a copy of She Hears Learning to listen to Jesus, my book, as a token of our thanks for investing in the life of a child. Thank you for joining me and sponsoring a child through Compassion today. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're continuing our devotional Bible study reading through the Song of Solomon, where we are going through little by little, bit by bit, and exploring what it means for our own love, sex, and relationships. And I know that you may cringe a little when you hear a Christian Bible study podcast mention those words, but with the sex-obsessed culture that we find ourselves immersed in, especially here in the United States, I think it's really important that we have a good foundational understanding of God. God's idea and design for our relationships. And so, of course, this is designed within the context of marriage, and I pray that this series is a blessing to you and to your relationship. And so I'm going to be reading Song of Solomon chapter 7, starting at verse 1 from the NASB. I will read, then I will do some commentary, and then I will read it again. And again, just as a reminder that I've created an additional resource for you to use, it is a guided journal workbook that you can download for $7 on our website, shehears.org, or if you are part of our Patreon, you get that resource for free. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, this is the admiration by the groom. 
How beautiful are the your feet and sandals, prince's daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat surrounded with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of bath Rebim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and the flowing of your hair is like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I said I will climb the palm tree. I will grasp its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. The Bride it goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who are asleep. I, my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let's go out to the country. Let's spend the night in the villages. Let's rise early and go to the vineyards. Let's see whether the vine has grown and its buds have opened and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes have given forth fragrance, and over our doors are all the delicious fruits, new as well as old, which I have saved for you, my beloved. Now, this is probably the passage that has the most sexual connotation and imagery, and it is one that can make you feel uncomfortable, but I want to make sure that we don't miss some things that we might be tempted to overlook if we're just reading this and not having a good understanding of the history and the culture and the context. Now, this is actually a continuation of yesterday because, again, there's eight chapters but six actual love poems or love songs, and so this is a continuation. So yesterday and today, we are studying the fifth poem, the fifth love song. The first nine verses of chapter seven is clearly that the groom is delighting with his bride, but we do need to realize that it's not just about his desire for her and her beauty. It's also an emotional response to his beauty and his love for her. It's not just physical attraction only. There is a deep emotional connection there as well. One thing that I thought was really interesting is the phrase that he talks about where he says, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, prince's daughter. The curve of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. So the feet and the sandals, think about this for a minute. In antiquity, which this is an ancient people group, at this time frame, feet were not normally something that was considered sexy. It's not like it is today where there's like entire social media platforms based around feet. Like that was not something in their culture that they would find sexy. They wore sandals and the main way that they got around was either by walking or by animals, meaning donkeys and mules, walking them up and down the street, pulling carts sometimes. And there was also no indoor plumbing. So as they walked around, they would get their feet covered in poop, human poop, animal poop, poop, like, ugh, it was just gross walking around out there. Not to mention the fact that it was unpaved dirt roads. So there was dust and dirt mixed with excrement. I mean, that's why we see so much foot washing in the Bible, because when they entered a home or a building, they would wash their feet off so they didn't track all that junk inside. But in the view of this man, who was in love with this woman, every part of her body is beautiful to him, even her feet. And if they're in sandals, they're probably unwashed feet. I mean, so that's the picture. It's a, it's a deep kind of love. <laughs> and then in verse two, he talks about her navel and he talks about it 
you know, in a variety of couple ways that kind of don't really make sense to us. But this imagery, the navel and the belly are actually translated as other body parts that have to do with the womb and reproduction. I'm not going to say all of that right here. And so there is a sexual element here, but it's also a commentary on the life-giving nature of a woman. And then wheat and wine are actually metaphors for nourishment and life-giving. So he's praising her for her ability to bring children into the world, into their family, into their relationship, which was really important in that time frame. Childbearing was a high priority in their culture, so much so that if a woman was not able to bear children, it spoke really poorly of her and, you know, she would get a reputation. Sometimes they would even divorce her because that's how much of an emphasis they placed on childbearing in that culture. And then, of course, in verse three, there's some sexual imagery, but it talks about in verse four, the pools of Heshbon. The pools of Heshbon was actually an oasis in the desert where many people would come to drink water and just to be refreshed from that heat and traveling. And so he's basically saying that her eyes have that same effect on him. Think about how you would feel if you suddenly found this oasis, this pool of water in the middle of a desert, how refreshing that would be. That's kind of what he's talking about when he says that her eyes are like the pools of Heshbon. And then he makes a couple more metaphors talking about her body. He talks about Mount Carmel, which is a very impressive mountain. And the products that would come for trade or for sale from that region were very, very valuable. So when he's talking about that, he's again talking about her worth. And then in verse five, he talks about her hair. And he says, your hair is like royal tapestry. Basically, in the Hebrew, it literally says your hair is like purple, but that doesn't mean that she has purple hair. Um, I don't think you would ever find purple hair in that culture, not like what we would see now. But that dye that's used to produce that color of purple is gotten from a certain kind of shellfish that they would crush and they would get that color from it. And because it is really expensive and hard to get, it's really only the royalty or the very, very rich that can afford that kind of purple. So that's why purple is a color that's associated with royalty in all sorts of cultures, but especially in that culture. And when he's referring to to that, he's basically talking about being captivated by her hair because it's so luxuriant and priceless, basically. Hey friends, are you loving the deep conversations, the biblical insight, and the spiritual growth content that I share on the Hearing Jesus podcast? Well, I've got some fantastic news for you. Starting at just $5 a month, you can become a member of our Patreon community and take your Hearing Jesus experience to a whole new level. When you join Patreon, you gain access to ad-free episodes, daily journaling prompts and worksheets, monthly bonus content, personalized Q&A sessions with me, giveaways, and more. As a Patreon supporter, you're not just a listener, you're a valued member of my inner circle. But that's not all. Our Patreon community is a place where you can connect with like-minded people who share your passion for spiritual growth, engage in meaningful discussions, share your thoughts, and be part of something that's truly special. Plus, we've got some awesome perks lined up for our Patreon supporters, from shout-outs on the podcast to exclusive merch and more. So if you're ready to dive deeper into the journey of hearing Jesus, head on over to patreon.com forward slash hearing Jesus. Your support makes a real difference, allowing us to continue bringing you inspiring content week after week. Also, a portion of any income from Patreon goes to support children through our partnership with Compassion International. Again, head to patreon.com forward slash hearing Jesus. Thank you for being a vital part of the Hearing Jesus community.
community. Together, let's learn to live out our faith in our everyday life. Then there's some things that you can imagine are on your own, what they mean, their sexual images that they use in that culture. Instead of coming out and saying the words, they use a lot of metaphors. But then it talks about um, flowing gently through the lips of those who are asleep. That end section of that part um, in verse nine, it's actually describing the natural progression of sleep after lovemaking. And so this is a scene where they have spent some time together intimately and then sleep kind of comes to them. So that's what that description is. And then in verse 10, I'm my beloved's and his desire is for me. Now think about that phrase for a minute because we're going to come back to that either today or tomorrow. I want to talk about that. Verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desire for me. But here she is affirming her commitment to him. And she can see that he obviously has desire for her. And as women, I think it's an important part of our relationship and even as our identity within the marriage to know that our husband desires us. I think think, of course, that's mutual. We both want to see that. But we see that phrase come throughout the book that I'm my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That assurance, that confidence of knowing that we belong to each other. And you know, I just want to talk for a minute about the reality that I know that not every relationship is perfect. Even within the marriage relationship, sometimes there are medical issues that come up. Sometimes there are distance issues that come up. There are all sorts of things that might keep us from being together intimately with our spouse. Regardless of that, I think it is still really important for, especially for women, to know that the husband still desires her. And not just her body, her heart, her mind, her spirit, her presence. So even if there is, hopefully it's a temporary, a, a, a barrier between you physically with your spouse, you can still express desire for each other in a way that's affirming and life-giving. And then verse 11, 11 through 13 talks about going into the country, spending night in the villages. And essentially what we see there is they're planning a date. They're going to go see if the vines have budded springtime and gardens and plants and pomegranates and vineyards, all of those kinds of things are always in antiquity associated with love. And in the Song of Songs, the way that that's combined, it creates this picture of the delights that the couple is anticipating sharing together. So they're essentially daydreaming and they're planning their future and they're planning what they're going to do for the day. And they're, it's just this romantic, sweet scene of how they're looking forward to spending time together. And so we see in this passage, this mutual desire between this couple to be together intimately, but also to be together relationally. This is where the quality time piece comes in. You know, we talked about words of affirmation a lot yesterday, but quality time is super important. We see that here as well. And you know, there's this world that we live in, and I don't want to paint this idealistic idea that that every single Christian relationship is perfect. I understand that. But what we're seeing in this passage or in this book are ways that we can make steps toward a healthy, God-honoring relationship if ours is not. And I understand that we live in a fallen world. But even in a fallen world, when people function in their relationships according to God's order, we can avoid a lot of the chaos and the disaster that comes as a result of the fall. 
And so even within the context of this fallen, broken world that we live in, we can experience the peace that comes between a couple when they are living a God-honoring relationship. And I will tell you, that single-minded commitment that I have to my spouse and that he has towards me is a place where I receive peace so that I can live in a world of chaos. And it's this mutual coming together, this desire to spend time together, this desire to be intimate together, this desire to praise one another, to be with one another. That's a place that the the peace can grow. That's a place where we can experience God's design for us in relationship so that when we go back into the world the next day, we're a little bit stronger. We can tolerate it a little bit easier because we know we have our spouse that has our back back at home. And you know, there's always going to be a version that the enemy portrays that is the opposite of God's version. And God's version would be one that is life-giving and honoring to him and brings us peace. The enemy's version is one that would bring chaos. And that happens easily because we're affected and impacted by the fall. And so we have to protect what we have, what God has given us. Well, what are some ways to protect what we have? Well, within the context of marriage, boundaries are super important. So that might be something like making sure that you don't look at other people and imagine what life with that person would be like instead of the life that you have with your spouse or admiring the appearance of somebody else or the qualities that they have and wishing that your spouse was more like that. That's a dangerous way to head down that, that road that the enemy would want for you. Um, romance novels or movies that encourage this unhealthy focus on passion that is not balanced with the, the respect and the admiration within the context of marriage, or it will lead us to a kind of lust that compares this false ideal with reality that our spouse can never live up to. We don't want to take the one that we love for granted. There's so many things that we can do to just make sure that we are not headed down that path, but we have to be intentional about it. And you know, the kind of commitment that we see in the Song of Songs it helps us understand that we need to keep other relationships within their own limits as well. So that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, even in the conversations that we're having with other people, members of the opposite sex, especially, that we are always honoring our marriage. We are always honoring the spouse that God gave us, even if you don't feel it. I mean, there's a lot of times that there can be a temptation to complain about your spouse instead of lift them up. And when you combine something like that with something like maybe a work wife or a work husband, well, you're in dangerous territory. It's something that you need to be really intentional about guarding and safeguarding within your marriage. And so one of the things that I love about the Song of Solomon's throughout the entire book is we see this man and woman who are relating to each other, not just in ways that are sexual and passionate, but it's in peace. There's not a lot of arguing. There's not a lot of self-serving behavior. It's others serving. It's, it's serving the other person. And there's this reflection of valuing that other person, not just as a lover, but as another person that's made in God's image. And it shows us this example of two people that as they are expressing their love for each other, their appreciation for each other, their 
adoration for each other, the gratitude for each other, that we can see that the other person is contributing to each other's life. And we see this relationship as it is operating according to God's order and to God's plan as a way to experience the benefit, the full benefit of that marriage relationship. And the result of that is a very fulfilling, intimate, both emotionally intimate and physically intimate relationship. And we see some values that are characterized in this relationship that should be a part of our entire relationship, not just the sexual relationship. Things like respecting each other and honoring each other and valuing each other and a mutual single-minded commitment to each other because in that kind of environment that's where we thrive that's what God designed and so in that process the natural outcome of that when we hold all of those values is an increased desire intimate desire for our spouse and so maybe there are fireworks without all of those things. But typically what happens is if there are fireworks without those things, eventually that flame is going to be extinguished. It has to have fuel. And and without the fuel, it, it fizzles out just like a regular firework. It might go up in this beautiful display, but eventually it fizzles out. The things we see in this book are the things that are going to sustain for a slow burn that's going to last a lifetime. And again, that's a testimony to the world around us because what the world version is, is dysfunctional and it's relationships that manipulate each other and take advantage of each other and are abusive and toxic. Instead, what we want is God's desire, this one flesh relationship that he created in Eden. We can have a piece of that in our lives today. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread chapter seven, starting at verse one. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, prince's daughter. The curves of your hips are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat surrounded with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory, your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and the flowing hair of your head is like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses." How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will grasp its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. The bride responds, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who are asleep. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let's go out to the country. Let's spend the night in the villages. Let's rise early and go toward the vineyards. Let's see whether the vine has grown and its buds have opened and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes have given forth fragrance and over our doors are all delicious fruits, new as well as old, which I have saved for you, my beloved." Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for the treasure of your word and how you reveal your heart, even for our marriages within it. God, help us to understand and have this clear picture of the way that you've ordained this symbiotic relationship that our emotions and our words and our intention is all tied to the passion and the desires that we experience within this context of a relationship that can be such a clear reflection of the way that you designed us to operate even in this fallen world. Lord, I pray 
pray for the health of the marriages of the listeners today, whether or not they're married. Maybe they're not married, but I pray for the health of their future marriages, that they would understand your order for things before they even get into that relationship. And God, I pray for the marriages that maybe have gone off track. Lord, help them to recognize that it's not too late that you are a God of reconciliation and restoration. And with hearts that are submitted and surrendered to you, you can work miracles. And God, I pray for the relationship and the marriages that are good. Lord God, would you protect those? Would you continue to place a hedge of protection around them and allow us to see when the enemy is trying to worm his way in and, and for us to extinguish that as quickly as possible. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've designed marriage and the fulfillment that we can have inside of that relationship, how special that is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friend, every day when I finish the podcast, I feel so confident that this is one of the things that God created me for. And my journey is not unlike yours. I had a season in my life where I was doubting God's voice. I felt insecure about the things that I thought he might be telling me to do. If you were in that place, I want you to know that I offer spiritual direction and life coaching to help you get unstuck. Maybe you're struggling with something and need an objective biblical opinion. Maybe you need some help working through something that feels a little heavy. Maybe you feel called to write or start your own podcast, or maybe you just want to learn how to hear God's voice more clearly. For me, when God started to reveal his plan for my life, I found my purpose. And part of that purpose is to help you learn how to grow in your relationship with him. My heart is to help guide you in this area so you can step confidently into the calling God has for you. If you would like to start spiritual direction or life coaching, I'm opening up space for a couple more clients. You can head to shehears.org forward slash coaching to learn more. That's shehears.org forward slash coaching. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.